0: Sharpen That Axe, a podcast dedicated to strengthening your skills as a guitar player, teeth, tongue, and the lips. My name is Dylan Murphy. With me is my co-host John Gunn from beautiful Colorado. It's pissing rain here in Galway. John, how are
1: you? It's not doing that here, I will say that. We could use a little bit of rain, but it hasn't been too bad. So anyway, as per per usual, yeah, we we have to discuss the weather before we get going. It's like a real Irish podcast here. It is, It'll, yeah.
0: We, we have to talk about it every single time or else, you know, <laughs> just lose listeners like that. Click my fingers, nobody can hear it. Um, John, how are you? How's, how's the teaching, the guitar teaching world?
1: Guitar teaching is, is good. There's more and more teaching to be done. Um so, back to so school, many. right? Yeah, yeah, back to school. So definitely, now's the time to get your students in for back to school music lessons. But yeah, essentially... It's, it's good. Um, I've been challenged by a lot of students recently to learn some difficult pieces. We'll talk more about that later. But it's been good. And yourself, you have a new EP out. You're planning a tour. Man, it is a busy time for you. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Oh, yeah. So I released an EP on Spotify and all the other ones, Bandcamp. if you would like to purchase it with your money. We'll come back to that point later. Um, yeah, it's good. It's 12 minutes long. It's four songs. Uh, it's basically all about um, modern anxiety and in all its beautiful forms. And uh, yeah, i appreciate if people would have listened to it and um, recorded in about four or five hours in uh, County Galway in a house. Um over three different visits. Uh yeah, pretty happy with how it turned out. Really happy it's out of me. Like a you know, like basically giving birth and thank God it's out of me and I never have to talk to it again. Joking. Um, so, <laughs> um but no, yeah, happy I had a launch. People were nice enough to come down to the lunch last week in Galway and yeah, I got a full house. So very happy with the response. And uh, going on holidays tomorrow to Spain because uh, I just want to stop thinking about EPs for, for a while and messaging journalists and bloggers and all that stuff that goes on. And um, yeah, that's what I've got going on. But John, do we have a lick of the week? Oh my God. <laughs> Due to lack of planning, we will forgo this week's <laughs> Both very busy. <laughs> and we'll have, we'll have two next time good god and that is that is my fault we Did,
1: wow i didn't say anything about it you didn't prep one yes <laughs> all right <laughs> high class production here oh man okay
0: um, yeah we, we'll get we'll get to next time we, we could um, edit
1: some reactions in right now ready go yeah. oh my gosh wow oh. that's that is amazing i i had no who who was that do tell i yeah
0: who would have thought i go with my favorite um john petrucci solo Uh, and no we can't we can't feign it (laughs) 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 friends we'll have two for you next year we're both very busy we got we've got jobs and 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 so uh (laughs) moving on Uh, so we were uh going to talk this week uh so john how did you discover youtube adam neely was it through a friend of ours or was it through um how did you was it like i I think honestly just from
1: other music things i'm not sure i I can't remember honestly i followed a few of his posts a while back and then as i got more into it, it was like hey there's a lot of useful stuff i i like a lot of his things like how not to suck at music those were always really good yeah um it's just good advice on how not to suck at music. And he's not, he's not derogatory yeah. about it, too. People send in their submissions, and he's genuinely helpful, which is nice. Yeah. Um, he's a positive YouTuber, which is something I always appreciate in a land filled with such negative YouTube comments and pundits. But anyway, very intelligent yes. bass player, very active session bass player in New York and has some really insightful things on music production that is making music the music industry and practicing music so yeah but my. this week i came across a video of his and sent it on to you and kind of wanted wanted your take on it too especially since you just released an ep here so mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I really like Adam Neely's Q&As. I think they're really well edited and very concise and uh, just insightful perspectives on, you know, personal relationships with the music and, you know, is it worth learning this or is, you know, what does this mean um, very quickly? And he, he's, those I really like of, um, sometimes it gets a bit too technical with the, you know, uh, how to, suck less at music uh, but no I think it's great and like you said positivity uh, triumphs in my opinion because for mm. every positive YouTuber I have I you know I, I adore I have maybe 10 negative ones that I really don't like because of the negative um, oh god isn't all modern music terrible yes but you don't have to talk about it um, yeah. <laughs> So when when it comes down to like, what is music worth in the video? He goes to, he basically goes to an art museum and he compares, you know, how much this Van Gogh self portrait is worth compared to, you know, Taylor Swift, you know, one year, $1.29 track on iTunes and kind of discusses how it's worth. If you want to like, cause you, you basically uh, brought up the idea, John, do you want to t- tell us a little bit more about what he
1: goes into within the, the video? So he goes through and essentially, as he looks at, at those art pieces says, kind of asks the question, why is this art so much more valuable than whatever it was? He, he said, he mentioned Taylor Swift. And then he also mentioned, um, Glenn Gould's, you know, version of the Goldberg variations, a wonderful mm-hmm. piece of art, wonderful performance. And the thing is still a dollar $1.29. Um, and he kind of raises the question, what makes music valuable? How much and how much is music worth? Mm. So his, essentially, he goes on to describe that his music, he earned $500 off of so many thousands of, str- hundreds of thousands of streams or whatever it was, essentially amounting to, what is it, like 0.0029 cents per stream. Yeah. Yeah, um, which essentially means nothing per stream. Um, it so he at that at that rate anyway. He he just kind of he poses the question: Does that mean music is is worthless? Essentially, mm-hmm. a little bit of background on this too, I think, isn't is helpful in that the the music industry has been built on the product that it is sold, which is not music. It's always been a physical product, whether that's a record or a CD or an MP3. And now as we enter streaming, it's a lot harder to define what that product is. It's not something as tangible. It's it's something that's easily transferable. It's something that you can pick up anywhere, whether that's YouTube or Spotify or mm-hmm. any of the other streaming services. But without something like a CD that means you, you don't have the, the physical copy to invest in. And that, that in some ways that's, that's good and in some ways that's bad, in my opinion. I, yeah. what, but what it's essentially done, this is the crisis that the record industry is going through right now because it is, in fact, it's not the music industry, it is the record industry. They are in the business of selling the physical product. And that's what's caused a lot of the disruption and why why streaming is where it is right now because it's cut the middleman out it's given more of a voice to the independent and artists out there who don't have to lose as much money to the record industry for fronting that for that physical copy so anyway that's that's kind of that's a very big background <laughs> for what we're talking about i guess
0: No, I, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot in that. Um, Yeah, I, uh, so, John, do you, do you buy music?
1: Yes, but do I buy CDs? Not very often.
0: No, I, I feel that someone told me, like, I think it's like Thor Harris from Swans or something along the lines of, he has this, you know, his, he's, you know, a big figure in the whole mental health sphere but he's he's kind of like a a really respected figure in the music world and he was basically giving out his rules for life and you know it was everything from like get a fucking bike to um sneak alcohol into a gig so that you can spend your money on merch because independent musicians need your money and i'm like yeah i will if i like a band enough um well not even if i like a band enough but if i go to a show and they're selling merch i will you know unless it's a terrible terrible t-shirt i will try and buy a t-shirt or something and because you know you see musicians that's where the money comes from it's like it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's like cinemas selling or as you call them movie theatres and selling popcorn and stuff because that's where the money is it's it's not the actual art form it's the stuff based around it And that's kind of, I think that's a really good attitude to have. And, you know, bands really do respect it. And also it gets you some street cred and also clothes or whatever, or posters for your room. You know, it's it's basically something kind of, something tangible because, but that has replaced CDs. And vinyl is an interesting thing as well, because I really like the idea of vinyl and I love holding music. But it's inconvenient in a lot Mm. of ways because I don't listen to music a lot in my house. And if I do, I listen to it through headphones because I've, you know, I don't want my girl to bother my girlfriend with my slipknot playlist that I've made this morning. You know, I, I, you know, I, I think that vinyl is a really nice idea, but for me personally, um, it's it's just I I remember working in a, a CD store a few years ago, one of the last dying CD stores in Galway, and we had a Black Friday sale, and it was this you know forty percent off all vinyl, like all the vinyl that we had, and this was when vinyl was really on the up, and you just see these lads in their you know forties or fifties just coming in buying like thousand euro like thousand a thousand euro of vinyl, and this is at cut price, so like you know wow. And and just being, I'm just like, oh, are you a big fan of all these artists? And then being like, no, but I want to have it. And it's that whole fetishized, you know, collective high fidelity um, approach to music. So I I think that is great. I do really like how vinyl has surpassed digital downloads. Um, I think it's a really, really great thing. Streaming is a completely different thing. But in terms to, you know, supporting music, there are ways, musicians, there are ways to do it. But it's, you know... I think we were raised in you know the the eighties and nineties, and that was when you see these filthy rich artists like Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses who have the seemingly unlimited budget for debauchery, and musicians kind of aspire to that. And it's kind of a it's it's not unless you are writing major pop songs, and um, it is not even that. But even like that isn't like a huge money racket anymore. Ed Sheeran goes on tour with a good acoustic guitar and a looping pedal to save on overheads. Yeah, and, you know it's just it's. It's it's just a thing, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's how music has
1: evolved with capitalism, essentially. I, I, I think it's important that music as it evolves now, and it, as it evolves out of a record company, essentially, anymore, a record company helps to function as sort of an A&R contact point. It's, it's more management than it is helping you get in the studio, essentially. Yeah. A lot of these yeah. independent record companies don't really have the money to front like they would have. 30 years ago. So I, I think what we need to see is, is a redefining of, of what the business of music looks like. How do we pay for art that we genuinely value?
0: Yeah. It's and a, it's like a, you
1: were saying, merchandise is a big thing. And now we're starting to see more things like Patreon show up where essentially you can become a patron of an artist you, you really enjoy, whether, yeah you know whether they're making music or a podcast or <clears throat> or <laughs> or, <laughs> or have a youtube channel or something like that but the the idea is i think that we need to move away from the physical product being what we value and into the music itself and how we do that and that's i think that's how we shift what's going on He says, Adam Neely says at the end of the video, he asks the question, does the devaluation of the medium affect music's impact on us? His answer is no. And he says, quote, if the experience of listening to music and the self-actualization that it brings is not what the market was valuing in the first place, then the streaming revolution shouldn't affect the value of music. He goes on to say it's the value, uh, the value of music is intrinsic and music's value is Priceless. Now, would you agree with this statement? Oh, <laughs> um, yes,
0: and yes, and no. I mean, uh, yes with an if, no with a but. If you know what I mean. That's, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> right. Really, uh, that, yeah, I, I think I do agree with the the point that's being made, but whether it's going to be adopted by the um, the general masses isn't. it's it's, it's not it's not going to be respected like that
1: no no i i I have to agree which is again why i think we need to find a new business model but the because music is free to there's two things there one you get what you pay for and two everybody i've ever known that when you get something for free generally speaking you don't value it as much as when you have to work for it I
0: I look back on, a, f- a friend of mine tweeted recently, it was like, could I get all the 20 euro notes that I spent back in the day on all the CDs when I bought when I was 15? You know, really? uh, just think of all the money that you spent on music growing up. Like, you know, uh, do you know how many CD, uh, CDs by Weezer I bought, John? Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe this one's as good as the first one, it wasn't. Um, but it's, it's just that, just that mentality is like, oh, maybe I'll like this album maybe I'll, I'm going to like, it, it was essentially a bit of a gamble some of the times. You'd read the, the Kerrang! or the Q reviews, but you'd, you know, you'd, you there wasn't a guarantee that you were going to like it. And, right. But you still shelled out money. You still basically, because it was so rare and you couldn't, you wanted to walk around with this music in your disc, man, dating myself, now. Um, right. You know, just a thing, you know, and I love Spotify, but at the same time, Spotify is not good for my attention deficit. You know, my, yeah, my short attention span, and because you know i i it's become really hard because i've all music ever created ever in my pocket um it's really hard for me to listen to right. an album to finish now it's it's not good it, it's basically if anything spotify has made me appreciate a uh, lot more music but to less of an extent if you know what i mean
1: i think so and and that's not only that, it kind of Spotify will cultivate for you your own listening habits. So you still have to work to get outside of your listening habits, you know, yeah. Um, which I, I suppose you can do a little bit through your own social network. But typically speaking, those people are going to like a lot of the same music you do. It's not, yeah, you know, going into I remember riding my bike to the used CD shop here in town and would just rifle through CDs for an hour and just put stuff on because they had like a little place where you could listen to things. You could sample it, right? So, and Mm -hmm. just put stuff on and listen to it. And that's where I got introduced to like John Coltrane. I didn't get introduced to Coltrane through anything other than just the fact that I put on giant steps and was like, holy cow, that's actually amazing. Not knowing anything about saxophone, barely knowing anything about jazz other than it was a thing that some people did sometimes. And it wasn't Kenny G. So, you know, <laughs> that's. And so we lose a little bit of that because you just you don't have the experience of that physical going through things. And I think as a culture, we tend to value that particular artistic expression less because it can be had so cheaply.
0: Yes, give me convenience or give me death. And, you know, that's Dead <laughs> uh, Kennedy's album. And that's absolutely true. I mean, we just, we do what's can. Con- convenient and it's you know But at the same time if i may kind of counteract this i think i do really respect how musicians are working harder to just reach more people and mm-hmm. you know it's it's not this automatic thing if anything like writing and you know being a yeah, being an original musician i mean like you know you're not gonna i i find that a i'm kind of in two camps i find that there's this kind of entitlement for people sense of entitlement when it comes to like oh you know why aren't people you know listening to it and then you see the other side of people who just like work really really hard and just to like play to new places and play to new markets and it is out there i mean if you want to be a musician and a lot of a lot of irish musicians have moved to berlin because because people pay for music there. People go to like really pay in for gigs. We are spoiled in this country with the amount of free music that is on every night. Yeah. But over there, people buy CDs and they <clears throat> and <clears throat> and they they show up at gigs and they pay in and they leave. Like I had a lot of German people who were just kinda of wandered into my launch the other night and who were just, you know, giving me money and I just like get them change for the, you know, admission and they just like no keep the rest, you know, we don't have wow. this at all. <clears throat> which wow. is great and really, really refreshing. And I have friends that tour in Germany and they'll like, you know, make a couple of months rent and they'll come back here and they'll basically just kind of live off that. And it is possible, but you do have to go the extra mile if you are an independent musician. I mean, there's, it's a double, like YouTube and Spotify are a double-edged sword because, you know, it's allowing musicians who don't have record deals to have the potential to, you know, approach, you know, to, to be listened by millions out there. Then again, you're up against all the other people that are at right. the same opportunity. So it's all about kind of you have to put in the, the work and grind. And I'm saying this because I've just released an EP and I'm going off to Spain to drink sangria for a week. But that's basically <laughs> that's kind of it. It's it's all about the the value. But I do I I when you see it when you buy merch off a band or when you like go up to someone and you make an effort to spend a little bit of money or throw something their way when they're on tour, just the the response it it is this they are grateful and you feel better because you are contributing to someone's essentially temporary livelihood and I highly encourage it if there's any way that you can do it and you know a, sh- a shirt is something you can you know it's it's always good to get a shirt or whatever.
1: yeah Yeah. absolutely and anything you can do to support the bands that you're you're going to go see so anyway bandcamp.com bandcamp Bandcamp, i think is an interesting platform and honestly in to some extent better than um better than spotify for what it's doing in that, you know, you're, you're not going to have to contend with a Jay-Z on Bandcamp. Not that I think you do on, doesn't he have his own streaming service? Title. Yeah, that's right. So you don't have to contend with him on Spotify either. But you, you get what I'm saying. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that's, I think that's, I, I don't know that we reached any conclusive statements no, there. Like-
0: I like talking about this and I feel that people might benefit from listening. People might have completely, um, you know, contradictory opinions on this, but I think that it's good to let people know what it's like to, you know, just, I I think sharing opinions on this is a really important thing because um, depending on where you're from and what kind of music you play and what age you are, there's so many different factors. So I think it's good to be able to listen to what other people are saying in terms of, Paying for music and what it's worth, you know. I think it's a it's it's important for people to do because, you know, it's there to be enjoyed. And you know, essentially, if you want to do it, it money should come into it if it's if it's a long term thing. Sorry, right. tangent there. Um, so moving on to uh, our, we have an interview this week. A repeat interview. I think this is our first. Well, no, it's not our first repeat interview because we do have. We did have our three, our four-way, uh, Menage Four with uh, Chris <laughs> with, uh, and Lars. And yeah, still possibly one of my favorite episodes. Um, but you got the great pleasure of interviewing Yvette Young once again for our little pod.
1: Yeah, yeah, she was very gracious. Like I've said before, um, she happened to be playing a show up in Denver, and we, or rather, I traveled up to Denver, I got to talk, to, talk to her for a little bit I don't know if I mentioned it before but it was funny because we went we were trying to find a good spot to do the interview and the green room was a bit too crowded it was kind of a smaller venue so it was a little noisy anyway we tried to find a cafe and then all the cafes were just playing like really loud terrible music there was yeah (laughs) just top top 40 stuff from like the 80s and stuff and it was just like it wasn't it wasn't helping. And we, that said, I mean, who doesn't like some men without hats? Let's be honest. <laughs> but. S, 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 S. Anyway, we ended up going down this alley that looked like super sketch behind a restaurant. And I buy an interview. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a whole trench coat full of them. and And then what was funny too is. After the interview, so I was sitting, sitting there interviewing her and this guy wanders up out of the restaurant and we're sitting at this picnic table behind the restaurant and this guy wanders up and just sits down behind us at the picnic table behind us and starts smoking and then just sits there and then leaves. As we finish the interview, he comes back out. And he's like, wait a minute, aren't you Yvette Young? Oh my gosh, I love you and I love your music and my girlfriend loves your music and we can't make it tonight because I'm working and she's working until like one o'clock. And, you know, so, and then Yvette was also very gracious, took a picture with him and then offered to come back and give him a signed poster or something like that. So, super. she's class, man. She is a class act. So anyway, here is our interview then with Yvette Young. Yvette, Good to see you again.
2: Good to see you, John. Thanks <laughs> yeah. for
1: having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show again. And uh, anyway, so new tour, new album. Tell us a little bit about about both of those things. What was first off? What was the writing process like for this album?
2: Um, it was a little more collaborative. I would say that I um, I still wrote like the majority of just like the guitar stuff. Mm-hmm. I would come to practice with like a structure already kind of written and all the parts planned, but I think as a band, sometimes we'd rearrange the structure, or we'd, um, like, I wouldn't have an intro and come up with, like, intro ideas together, David wrote one of the tracks on the song, it's called Gleam, um, he just wrote, like, a bass thing, and then I put, like, a reverbed out, distort, like, overdriven guitar solo on it, right. kind of a solo, it's like a pseudo-solo, it's not a real solo, it's not, like, shreddy or anything, but it still, like, is a lead line, I guess, so that was new, that was a new process for us. Just trying it out.
1: And the intro to that song too has a whole bunch of cool drum stuff at the beginning.
2: Um, are you talking about to gleam?
1: Gleam? Isn't it gleam? Uh,
2: that that song. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. David and John. <laughs> You've definitely had me like, oh no, 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 Did no I it's totally okay. say it wrong. No, okay, no, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's um, yeah. It, I noticed that I think just listening to the album that it it seemed more like a group effort on it you know so even, even though you're kind of coming in with guitar parts but the whole thing to me sounded very much
2: collaborative yeah, yeah exactly I also um I just because I don't have to write as a solo guitarist anymore it's my first time writing like with a band in mind because before I wrote all the songs as like just a solo player trying to sound as full as possible by myself right but now I am aware like it's okay if this is sparse because I, this is a part for david to shine or this is a part for Forrest to embellish a little bit um so i, I the new stuff is a lot more cordy and it's a lot more like um effects yeah hidden, uh, which i enjoy because i mean you'll see tonight it's easier to groove out to chords and some like like pretty fingerpicked slow sections yeah. than it is to just constantly think about oh my god i hope i nail this top run
1: so, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely a Dancier album, I think. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that's. I want that.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I just. I really enjoy the groove aspect of all that stuff. Yeah. So I think it. I think it really comes through in the music. And the tour process. Then how's that been so far for you guys?
2: Oh, it's been great. Uh, first headlining tour. Never did this before. It's always a little scary because, for me, I'm always like, ah, seven people give a shit about my band, and then like we end <laughs> up getting like a sold out, sh- you know, a couple of sold out shows yeah. here and there. So. It's just, like, wild to me. I'm like, why does anyone come out and care? That's cool, though. Because the music's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's been really sick. And then we're taking our good favorite boys, Vasudeva, and they're, like, awesome. It's been a pleasure watching them every night. It's just cool getting to control, um, coming from a little micromanager, it's really good getting to, like, control, like, I guess what you want for um, your stage props and stuff and your stage plot, what you want for, like, the opening bands it's just nice getting to curate that
1: yeah that's that's amazing so from your writing perspective uh, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit how how do you think you've evolved as a player and as an artist in the last year
2: um definitely think that my I've I, I'm definitely using chords a lot more and I'm considering contrast a lot more as well.
1: What do you mean by contrast?
2: Contrast, like, if you can have, have something that's just busy and noty the whole time, it loses its impact because after a while you're just listening to a wall of notes and it's like you forget that it's actually quite busy. But if you, if you like, you know, kind of intersperse sections with chords and stuff mm-hmm. with more noty sections, it kind of has, like, a more... It's like what dynamics are, kind of. Like, it kind of adds this contrast similar to like juxtaposing a quiet section to like a loud section. Right. Um. Sometimes if you like space it out, stuff sounds heavier and I like that a lot. Like I really like the juxtaposition of like light note things and then just like, like that airy sound juxtaposed with a more like heavy-weighted Just a like, big
1: chord comes yeah. in and smacks you yeah, in the face. Yeah, I love
2: that <laughs> contrast and it's a lot more enjoyable to play as well, so yeah.
1: Very cool. So, and do you feel that that's kind of a departure from the stuff that you've played with Covet in the past?
2: Um, Yeah, I guess so. I think it's just a natural progression for me because, no pun intended, progression. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Uh, Music Um, nerd jokes. Yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) I think it's just, for me, I want to go in like a more, I really like post-rock and I really like a lot of post-metal. So I want to kind of take what I love from post-rock and post-metal. I want to take those motifs, those dynamics, those like the effects-laden, yeah. like riffage. Um, I want to take that to what I enjoy about, like math rock, prog, all-time yeah. signatures. I just kind of want to blend everything I like about music into one, and so.
1: That, well, I think that comes through. I think Howl, for example, is actually a really good example of that. There's, Thank you. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that kind of reminds me of bands like And So I Watch You, and just you get you get a lot of those vibes. Thank you. So it's cool. Yeah, yeah. I
2: wanted that song to sound really ambivalent because it's like moody, right? Yeah. It starts out kind of like sinister sounding, and it goes into like a reverb-y pretty part, and then it gets all heavy and angry, and then it like gets <laughs> dancey, and then it ends like kind of just like... Sad, like just meh. Yeah, kind of like
1: not meh, but meh.
2: Just like almost like you have a knot in your chest or something, and it's like being slowly released. I don't know. These are cool. all abstract things that I think about when I play it. So
1: <laughs> that's great. Is that a thought process that you go through when you're writing it, or is it much more fluid?
2: Um, what do you mean, like?
1: Well, I, I mean, the mood. Yeah, like does does that occur to you as you write it, or is it something that as you sort of get through? A section of it and you begin to go, oh yeah, this one is its a little more sinister sounding?
2: Um, I would say that I usually play a riff I write a riff and I'm like, this sounds like this character, this sounds like this story I have like a character story in mind and then I try to like build a narrative around it but I try to do it with just sound to me it's a challenge I really enjoy cause, because we're not lyrical in any way Right. Um, it's kind of fun trying to see how close I can get to getting someone to see something or at least see what I see with just like effects and chords and like notes essentially and phrasing and contrast and all those musical things
1: so right that's really interesting so almost like you said building a story based without having the the luxury of words is is definitely a challenge
2: yeah to me it's like as challenging as making an abstract painting convey an emotion like you can't like you know paint like a, a fucking um, I don't know, like a a person stabbing another person. That like image or whatever is like so violent, but it's like it's hard to convey something like that with abstract like imagery. Like, how right. what kind of colors are you to use? What kind of composition? Um, is it going to be big? Is it be, so These are all like visual considerations. So I've I kind of view the same way, but like sonically, with like what kind of effects do I want on this? What keys? What intervals? Um, like where do I want to introduce dissonance? These are all, like, problem-solving things
1: yeah. to consider. I think that's really interesting because it strikes me that people who who aren't familiar with songwriting don't really take the time to consider all of those elements are part of songwriting. Yeah. And and something that you have to practice. It's not something, yeah. your I dynamics aren't something that just, like, come. Out. Yeah, I, I think
2: that's one thing that I've progressed as a player with is just, like, songwriting. I think I consider it more and stuff comes a little more naturally to me now.
1: Was that one of your focuses over the past year, is to really focus on your songwriting, or is it just something that kind of turned out that way?
2: Because
1: um, you've been quite busy. I mean, you've yeah. had this, you've had a lot of collaborative projects and other things going on. So,
2: um, I think, are you saying it's something that...
1: Is it, was it something that you, you set out to focus on, just your songwriting in general, this year, or is it something that just kind of happened?
2: I think it's something that just happened. Honestly, my only goal is to write a new body of music because you know i'm tired of playing the old shit i want to play new shit (laughs) so for me my primary um driving force is just man i want to play new shit so for me sometimes songwriting happens over a span of months sometimes it's just one sitting and i just somehow have an entire song and it's really unpredictable um but yeah i guess my only goal was to make new music and i think naturally just because i've played so much and i've listened to a lot of music and i've just i think like this is kind of um, hippie-ish of me to say, but I think, like, your life experiences and, like, things that you go through and, like, maturation also help with your art. Like, for me, I find that I can sit down, for visual art, at least, mm-hmm. I cannot draw something. I cannot draw anything for, like, a year. But then I'll pick up a pen, and I'll try to draw something again, and I'm, like, actually better than I was before just because I've spent so much time just looking, taking in information visual information so I think because I've toured so much traveled so much and like seen so many inspiring people just from the nature of my job um, I think that kind of translated in the music and it rubbed off on me
1: that's great consciously well I think I think a large part of it is just anytime you take in new material you begin to process yeah what what that's like is that now Do you try to cultivate that? Is that a practice that you would normally try to do, is just try to find new music to listen to or new experiences? Do you go out and find those things? Um. Particularly I guess, particularly if you feel like things are stale or you don't like where things might be going um, musically speaking or or in in a particular direction. Is it something that you try to, to break out of a rut essentially?
2: Um, I, I'd say maybe again, it's not like a conscious thing for me, but I'm gonna, I always, I'm like, I want to try something new. I want to try to just keep on developing and growing. So, um, I don't know. It's like, for me, it's such a strange process that I don't even understand myself. I don't feel like I'm really in control of it. It's like, it's having a superpower that you haven't tamed yet. (laughs) So you're like, sometimes you can freaking blast a crater in the wall. And, like, you can just, like, destroy that entire building. But sometimes it's just, like, a little laser that, like, you don't know how to control it. Like, <laughs> right. You know? That's how I feel. So, yeah. Um, but I think the more you do something, the more you understand it. And I think I, I, I do feel more in control now than I was, like, let's say, two years ago or even a year ago. Like, even understanding my gear and how things interact, like pedals and all of that, just, just messing around and playing live so often, having things go wrong, troubleshooting problems, it just... I think it naturally just helps my understanding of of my tools, my toolkit.
1: Yeah, I like that. Creating music. Yeah. Is there anything you think you've you've added or would still like to add to that toolkit?
2: Freaking sweeps. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me think. You know, I would like to understand gear even better. Um, I'd like to understand, like, because I'm new to electric guitar and stuff. I feel like I want to understand how to, like how my guitar actually works, like from uh, just dissecting it into its constituent parts. Right. Thing. I think like I'd like to be more well-versed in that. Um, I guess I'd like to be more fluent in translating ideas I hear in my head to my hands, which is something, again, that comes with time, but I feel like I still have a lot of work to, to do on that. Just because, Also, because I use so many tunings, it's impossible to like learn the shapes and scales for each tuning, so I do depend heavily on my ear to find stuff but it would be cool if I could just sit down, hear something, and play it immediately. But I'm getting there. I'm getting there.
1: Getting there. I'm curious, would you have any advice for people messing around with new tunings, open tunings, different tunings?
2: Um. Use your ear. Don't yeah. try to play shapes. <laughs> it's not going to sound good. Well, maybe it'll sound good, but it's not going to be what you expect. Um, yeah, I'd say, like, you know, um, just... Ex- I, th- I like open tunings because if you find yourself stuck in a r- writing the same thing over and over again in standard, it's a great way to kind of just take the floor away from underneath you and you have nothing to hold on to anymore because you can't depend on your shapes, you can't depend on your knowledge of the fretboard. Like you actually have to hear things. And I was just having a conversation with someone the other day about this. Like I think it's a good way to write stuff because you don't write what's comfortable for you. You write what you you kind of have to hear stuff in your head and then that's what you have to end up finding on the fretboard and then you end up writing things that you didn't expect or things that sound yeah. more natural and less forced
1: that's interesting yeah i think even when you're and we've talked about this before about just listening to what's going on in your head yeah. but sometimes even that is almost more dictated by the stuff that you usually play yeah on the instrument exactly. so having a different tuning is that's that's a really really cool way to break out of the usual
2: yeah I with my guitar students and stuff I find that I'll show them a tuning they'll go home and next week they're all excited they're like I wrote so much new stuff on this just because it's like you know you get stuck doing the same things you get comfortable right so right. Like, you just never want to be comfortable Just I never want to be that comfortable I always want to like when I write I want to still use my ear and sing stuff and then try to find it and it's also a great way to get better too like if I can't nail like some kind of crazy jump thing or a tap run that I hear in my head I'll literally just do it slow and I'll practice it for five hours straight until I can and then now if I have to do something like that again I, I can do it because I've built the muscle memory for it.
1: As far as practicing goes since you you brought it up is most of your practice these days is it primarily just working on new material or songwriting even?
2: Yeah I'd say that I rarely practice the songs I've already written. Don't do that, by the way, that's (laughs) bad. Don't be me, you don't want to be me. Um, I usually just, when I sit down, it takes discipline to want to play the songs I already wrote, but for me, I get excitement out of trying to write new riffs. So. I kind of use Instagram to incentivize myself to finish songs, because sometimes I'll write a riff, and I'll be like, that's sick, and I'll record it and post it. <laughs> and I'll be all stoked on it, but I'm like, but I can't. And then people are like, oh, when is the song coming out? I'm like, well, I guess I have to make it into a song now.
1: I actually had a student today yeah. say that, who was like, <laughs> there's, there's a riff... she put up there and I really wanted just the rest of the song but it's not there yet and I was like I'll let her know which riff Uh, to be honest I can't remember
2: it's okay because actually the latest one I posted the latest riff it is already a full song that one I ended up writing in like two days just because I was so hyped on it like man I feel like I don't ever feel that happy this is kind of personal but I'm like never that happy until I like write something and then I feel like euphoric like I'm just like I'm in love with like what I just wrote and I can't wait to hear it like fleshed out and I can't wait to do it justice like to me it's like I made a cool baby and then I want to like <laughs> take care of this baby forever I don't know it sounds it sounds weird but yeah at the same time you can't be too attached to stuff you write because it can always develop and you know you can always change and add things as you as you go and sometimes there's um, benefit to spending a long time on a riff or something like having it sit for a while because you realize maybe it's not that cool in the first place or maybe right. you know you change this one thing and it and it like just develops in a whole new direction so
1: would you say there's a particular value in just getting something done
2: yes absolutely yeah. because the more you procrast- I know a lot of people who struggle with they don't know the finishing point mm-hmm. and for me like I think as soon as um as soon as the song or whatever you're working on does what it's meant to do that's when you should stop.
1: How do you mean by that? Can you elaborate?
2: I'm really interested in the concept of like minimalism like there's like visual artists like Donald Judd who tried to basically present a cube or like he, he likes the cube because it's like a pretty much like a perfect form right. um, and also artists who explore concepts like how do you convey a chair with the fewest amount of marks literally you can do like two marks and it's a chair right? Right. So it's kind of like towing the fine line between ooh, that's a little sparse. Maybe those two lines are too sparse, but you can also over clutter the chair and make it like, you know, not no longer effective as like a symbol. So sorry, I'm like getting into like the visual art aspect of it, but I kind of view like music the same way, where if you listen to something, you close your eyes and it takes you somewhere, and it takes you somewhere that you you like intended. You know, I feel like that is done at that
1: point.
2: Mm. Um, maybe you can embellish a little. A few things here and there, but ultimately, as a body of work, it's done. Um, and I think sometimes if you overclutter something, it kind of loses its impact, which is, I think, one way that I've matured is I used to overclutter things a lot.
1: Interesting. And would you say that's something that's happened in the last year, or it's been a bit longer of a process?
2: Um, I think just playing as a band, realizing what I like live, realizing like how things translate live i realized that i don't need to just be so noty like sometimes i can lay back and people still enjoy i think i felt pressured to be that way because i got pigeonholed into like the shredder scene you know Mm -hmm. and so then in the back of my mind i was like but it's not impressive it's not technical so like should i even like release this or whatever but then i realized that at the end of the day people who love music will appreciate something even if it's not like technical and that's not what music is about like it should be about just like you know making you feel something or maybe I don't know this is crazy but the absence of feeling if you, if you if that's what you're going for um, yeah I think I think for me it's just realizing that I can still put on an effective show um, without doing all this crazy shit and I can lay back sometimes and um, I really enjoy letting David and Forrest have their own parts to shine because then it's more about the band and less about me as an individual, too. I like that. It takes the pressure off me.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. No, less pressure.
2: Yeah. I, I don't want, like... I mean, it's it's really nice that, like, people um, talk about, like, my guitar playing and stuff, but it would make me really happy if, you know, like, people can appreciate, like, the whole band because they're doing really impressive, tricky stuff, too absolutely like I really enjoy being in a band for the teamwork aspect I guess I've learned how to be a better team player I learned um, the value of communication and working collaboratively and how fun that can be and how rewarding that can be as well
1: was that part of the recording process for this album then too
2: yeah definitely Um, we all are responsible for our own tones and our own like I guess how we want our parts to sound so, and we all had something to do with the production, I guess. Um, and all the backing stuff, of course, I, I programmed and I, like, wrote it out. Uh, but it was cool because we, we learned how to work with, like, a group of actually super qualified recording engineers. We'd never been to an actual studio before, so it was nice having them as kind of, like, a, a second opinion. Or mm-hmm. even having their expertise on hand if we didn't know what to do with the part. Or we didn't know how to achieve a certain tone, like they definitely helped us tone sculpt like our songs
1: that's interesting i think it comes through on the album i think it, that was one of the things i really noticed like it's very well produced
2: yeah so um, it was nice i feel like finally i deserve anything i have because i have a nice recording out there you go before it was like a diy garage <laughs> recording i'm like almost embarrassed to like hand it to people but like now i'm like okay yeah this is nicely recorded enjoy
1: <laughs> cool I think that's really about it as far as questions that I have. Sweet. So, yeah. But it's been great once again. So thanks so much for taking the time to...
2: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to me ramble.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll do it again soon.
2: Yeah.
0: John, major takeaways from our uh, lovely interview with the even lovelier Yvette Young.
1: One of the things I think that struck me the most that I really appreciated was her talking about cultivating a a sense of, I guess you could call it like a cultural curiosity, always trying to find more music to listen to, more inspiration and finding things that will help drive her forward as an artist. And I think that's something you really have to do to excel as an artist, to branch out, to find things that are outside of your comfort zone, like we were talking about earlier, you know? Mm -hmm. So in, in the record shop, you have to force yourself To find something outside of your normal listening habits in order to grow as an artist and as a musician, and I thought that was that was really good insight. And sometimes it's difficult to do.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, it's it's super important, especially if you write music to um, just listen to different stuff. Otherwise, you know, if you never listen to other stuff, you'd still sound like Blink One Eighty Two. So I mean, (laughs) I think it's no, it's important as you know, listen to that weird, and it doesn't have to be, you know. I don't, you doesn't have to be uncomfortable. It, does, it You have to be uncomfortable because you know that's the only way you're going to grow. But you know, if you like a band like Radiohead and you only know the hits, like go and listen to the other stuff. You know, it's 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 not that difficult really to try and branch out. Or Spotify. Sorry to mention it again the latest related artists function on Spotify. The feature it's great, yeah. really really good. And the release radar. And God, I'm praising Spotify. And should we pay for music? podcast episode. But, uh, good god. Um yeah, great great job on the interview. Okay, uh, cool. Well, thanks uh, man. Yeah,
1: speaking of Wish you were uh, here.
0: Yeah, wish you were her And so uh jump what have <laughs> what have you been listening to? let clever segue. Um what have you been listening to?
1: So, I was listening to an album called Planetarium this week. Now, it's uh i came frog. across it is because- a frog. no it's not actually it's it's not at all um though so it it does i always think of when i go to the planetarium i always think of hearing metallica singing planetarium instead of sanitary <laughs> <laughs> someday i have to make that parody because that parody. just sounds hilarious parody. to me yeah <laughs> planetarium anyway but this is a, this came up in my spotify I think we should get paid for how much we've said that word today point, because point I follow zero three cents. Right. I, I follow Nico. Uh, I can't pronounce his last name. Molly, I think is how you say it. And he's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's, he's a composer, super educated dude, like Juilliard, Columbia, etc. but fantastic composer. But this was a project he did with Bryce Dressner of the national and James McAllister and Sufjan Stevens. So, yeah, it's an interesting deal. And the whole concept is kind of walking through our solar system. And there's, each track is, has something to do with space or the planets. You know, you've got Halley's Comet and Black Energy and this sort of thing. And the first track is very Sufjan Stevens, which I'm not always a huge fan of. But the rest of it gets pretty exploratory and pretty interesting. And speaking of finding yeah. things that are outside of your normal purview, this definitely was for me. And I really enjoyed it. That's, that sounds great. Um,
0: those Desner brothers, man, they are prolific. They, uh, they, they, they get around um, and I keep on confusing them. But yeah, cool. cool, cool. I'll actually really have to check that out. Um, sweet. Uh, so I suppose what I've been listening to and what I've been kind of working on, uh, as, which we will talk about shortly, uh, kind of are overlapping i essentially i i'm trying to i ran my acoustic guitar for my lunch i was going to borrow my friend's katana and use it for through the acoustic sitting there because i just wanted a little bit of crunch but mm-hmm. i ended up use uh just using going in straight into the p into the di box into the pa and I, um, I tried out a few overdrive tones and my soul food actually worked really well with my Uh, acoustic so i've kind of gone down a bit of a bit of a rabbit hole of uh, acoustic guitarists that use distortion so like john butler and john gom all the john um, and basically how they do it it's really interesting but it sounds like quite the process because all of it is essentially you're putting two pickups into your guitar you're putting one for the crunch and you're putting one for the uh basically for the acoustic tone as well and feeding them through preamps and EQ pedals and everything. It sounds like quite the process, but it's definitely something that I'm thinking of doing with my acoustic. So yeah, gone down a bit of a John Butler rabbit hole, and also uh, Hosier released a new album. Uh, it's oh. kind of well, a new EP, and it's it's very much uh, business as usual, but I did like it. And there is a band that I've discovered. Have you heard of Idols? Oh, let's say no. Let's say no. Maybe I have, but... They are a a British punk outfit that apparently were one of the the highlights of this year's Electric Picnic Festival. And Mm. they have a new album out called Joy as an Act of Resistance. And essentially what it is, is it's confronting modern uh, masculine stereotypes and basically just being like, no, this isn't... That this isn't right this you know whole uh, lad culture is just very much wrong um, and it's such a interesting take on an album because it's just basically like you, you look however you want it's fine you don't have to look like the magazines and I think you know there's been a lot of messages like that for women in modern pop music um, all about that bass that's a dated reference um, but uh, this one is like it's really refreshing and they're playing in Dublin soon and tickets sold out very quickly and the cheapest ticket I can find for or an original ticket price, which was 1850, is about 120 euros. So I shan't be going to that. Whoa. Yeah, quite the markup because they're very in right now. But uh, yeah, Idols, Joy is an Act of Resistance. Uh, that is pretty much my album of the of the month so far. Cool. Uh, but John, what have you been working on?
1: That's an interesting question. So I had mentioned working on some Polyphia stuff the yes. last couple of times and because it takes that long, um, depending upon what it is. But my, one of my students came in, one of the ones who was working on this, and he pointed out another song. that was like, hey, you've got to see this solo. And so they had a guest soloist on this song Aviator. And it was a guy by the name of Jason Richardson. Now, this was a name I'd sort of seen in passing before, but hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to, which anyone who's a little bit of a metalhead here is going to just scoff and be like, I can't believe you haven't paid attention to who this guy is I don't he know who this is, is a monster shred machine dude also like pretty tasteful with some of his melodic choices too he works super hard on his note selection and i've got a few friends who since i've mentioned it have said he talks a lot about really crafting his solos and really crafting his melodies he doesn't just kind of whip them out and then just tries to duplicate it or close to duplicate it when he performs it live he performs it the same way essentially every time because he spends so much time crafting it. It's almost classical composer style. But this particular solo from the Polyphia song Aviator is is what I've been working on. And it is cool. it is blistering and my fingers I think have the blisters to prove it. So but yeah, I, I definitely would recommend checking it out because that particular solo just opens with a blur of notes In a, what is it? It's a harmonic minor scale that just, it's brutal. So at any rate, that's usual shred stuff from from me. And what have you been working on? Uh, So what I
0: I have discovered this. So Ross Campbell is this YouTuber um, who I like because he does these spicy licks. And he basically breaks down like licks that he likes, and it's, it's a great way of like, oh, I've only got 15 minutes to have a guitar lesson, or I want to learn something today. So, learning those licks are really cool. Uh, but he has, you know, he, his last one was by this country player named Daniel Donato. I don't know if you know him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Nashville head, but he is, surprise, surprise, doesn't like chicken picking, but it's. <laughs> So I've started following him on Instagram and he is all about like, he even posts, he post a solo on Instagram, but he'll have it tabbed underneath and he'd be like, I can't believe I tab this out for you people. And, um, but it's a, uh, it's really cool. So I've been looking to listen to his stuff. He has this, he's like a Nashville session player, but he also has this like a uh, folky white boy thing, which is very much me. So yeah, he's kind of my, uh, those are the licks that I've kind of been learning. And very what cool. else? Yeah, oh, I sat down with some Chris Zupa videos because I ran my uh, stupid Hammer Explorer into uh, a metal setting and I was like, I want to learn some some metal solos. So I sat down. I just wanted to learn the ascending run from Cowboys from Hell. So I've just been sitting down with the metronome and just going through the alternate picking for that because I thought that learning just that just that descending lick would be make me a better player. And so far, my alternate picking has gotten stronger. So uh, I like that mm. Picking parts of songs to work on technique is something that we're big fans of here. Cool. Yes, it is. Um, so, that's, I mean,
1: uh, yeah, that's amazing. So, sorry. <laughs>
0: no, no. Uh, no apology necessary. So, yeah, that's basically us for this week. Um, thank you very much to Yvette Young for joining us once more. Um, always great to have her. And uh, so please come back. Come back soon now y'all here. and um, so sorry, I'm tired.
1: <laughs> tired and full of country music.
0: That's it. It's 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 very fattening. Um <laughs> just cooked in butter. Um but yeah, John, anything you'd like to add? Any uh, Silver Sound promo or
1: Yeah, I mean, check it out. We're on the Facebook and all that fun stuff too. So and and feel free if we've got uh if you guys are interested in Skype lessons, that's a thing that Silver Sound does and it's something that Dylan and I might cook up for you as well over here on our podcast here. So many things, as always, many things in the works. We'll see how many of them get done between now and, I don't know, the end of the year. So,
0: uh, Thanks very much for joining us, friends. Uh, we'll see you next week. Stay sharp.